Hey, uh, this is Brian, one of the hosts of Everyone Sucks Here. As maybe some of you have noticed, we have not made any content for y'all in a minute. And I'm going to give you the reason. In February, myself and a bunch of other mutuals got an email from an anonymous Proton account claiming to be a person from Chu's childhood that he had sexually assaulted when he was 15 years old. The letter was a fake, sent by some unknown person who co-opted the story Chu publicly shared in 2008 on another podcast and added a bunch of other bullshit, forwarding it to all of Chu's professional and personal contacts, motivated by who knows what. Even though we knew the letter was a fake, uh, however, we put the brakes on the show and discussed the best way for us to continue. We talked about canceling the show altogether, but after reflecting on our intentions for why we started the show in the first place and the values that we're trying to represent, we decided to suit up and put our money where our mouth is and use the platform for a bit of praxis and put you through an accountability process for all the bad stuff you've ever done. And we're going to do that by looking at the whole construct, every part of it. Every uh, element of the cycle of abuse and trauma and how they connect and correlate. And we're going to look at it dialectically because that's what transformative justice is. It's justice viewed dialectically and within a community. So in this episode, we enlisted a new friend of the pod, a relational analyst from the Rad Talk organization, Nicole Castro, who has a master's in communication from the University of Colorado, uh, to listen in and talk about the process of transformative justice from her professional perspective. I'm going to be weighing in, too, both from the perspective of a friend and victim of Chu's uh, deviancy, I guess, uh, and peppering it in with a few commie observations on superstructure and how that influences our actions in society. Uh, this is a long, very personal episode, and trigger warning, content warning, we will be talking a lot about childhood sexual abuse, sexual assault, parental abuse of a child, and voyeurism. Basically, dragging every skeleton in Chu's closet out into the sun to examine it, deconstruct and reconstruct, and talk about it. So, okay, this is it. Chu's accountability episode. Don't do bad stuff. My name is Nicole Castro. My pronouns are she, her, and they, them. Um, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, I will tell you a bit about my background real quick, but I see my role here today as providing a degree of neutrality. Um, I have not um, had had this pleasure of knowing Jerome for more than the couple months getting into this podcast. And the biggest thing that has struck me as I prepared for today was that Jerome can't do this alone. He is taking on a transformative justice approach to, to his own life and one that is normally supported by multiple teams of people. And so far, he's been holding multiple roles. So I'm really honored to be here today to help do some of that lifting um, because I I so fully believe that it's not that we don't have to do it alone but that we can't do it alone and so um, that's a large part of me wanting to be here today. Um, one of the reasons that made this podcast something I was interested in is that I hear the two main prerequisites for doing this kind of work which is willingness and ability and I've heard both from Jerome from the very beginning. Um, I say this because I value my own time and labor as a person of color trying to do this work. Mm -hmm. And um, it allows me to be here in a way that is supportive and allows for a space that is honest and not alarmist about things that honestly are fed into by so many other social forces to be scary enough that we don't ever want to look at them. So the work here today is brave from the beginning. Uh, my master's is in communication. Um, I study how people use violence to communicate and specifically how 
how we can do better when hurt people hurt people and we can't practice patterns of behaviors that we never had models for. Um, so yeah, I'm really excited to be here because I believe that we have the capacity to address harms done without relying on the state. And that is part of the process that we're doing here today. So Jerome, to get started today, could you just set the scene with, with your intention for this podcast and why you want to bring your story forward? Oof, yeah. Uh, my gosh, I, I, I've had this conversation with like my therapist and, and myself over and over or whatever. It's, I just want to give my account of, I guess, things that I've done. Um, I want to, I guess, reverse engineer my life sort of uh, the, the more that I've been thinking about this over the past couple of months and stuff like that, uh, the more things just keep popping up, you know, repressed memories, or whatever, just keep popping up. And I'm just like, Oh, we forgot about that and all that kind of stuff. So in doing that, I'm, you know, going to be saying a lot of stuff that's like traumatic for other people, which is equally traumatic for me, but I've talked about it a lot. And so what I want to be careful to not do is, is, like make it sound like I'm justifying any of the wrong actions that I've done. I I will say it now and I'll probably say it a thousand more times in the episode. I'm not justifying anything wrong that I've done. All I'm attempting to do is just maybe explain how the hell we got here. You know, like how did I arrive at this? Um, or in hindsight, why do I think that I did that? Or yeah, so so I want to I want to approach this from like a non-defensive place. You know, if you if if, if I start <laughs> saying some some problematic stuff, raise a hand and just be like, hey, that's not actually like the lesson here or or whatever. You know, um, yeah, and I just I just want to talk about it and then just get to see what the other side looks like. You know, there is no like immediate resolution that that can be that can come from this. Whatever, it's just another step in the process, I guess, of just being accountable for the things that I've done and hoping that in that honesty, in that space, you know, people don't necessarily have to forgive me or whatever, but, but can, can see just like, yeah, he, he, I think he gets it at this point. Like the, I think, I think it's clicking. I think if you've been around him for any amount of, of, of time and space, you can see that it's clicking. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I just, I just wanna, I just wanna get it off my chest and yeah. and, and not uh, do it in a problematic way. Fantastic. Um, that is what makes transformative justice transformative. To not just look at the harm, but to look at your strengths, contributions, efforts, beliefs, fears, and really see the interconnection of all the systems that mm -hmm. are coming together here. Yeah. Um, as they affect one or two given moments, but also in their in their deeper contexts. Um, could you give a quick content warning for the listeners of what they can expect to hear in your in your story? Yeah, content warning, uh, uh, sexual abuse uh, uh, as as a minor. Um, uh, ac accusations of of more graphic and, and uh, intense things but yeah um sexual violence and and a lot of like uh um violation of privacy uh and things like that nature yeah great thanks so much um 
Okay, yeah, let's let's hear your story. I, I want to hear I want to hear the all of it. Okay. Um I I guess I always usually just start off at home because that's where you know, uh most of what I observed went on. Um and uh <laughs> while I I don't know how else to like not talk about gender as it, as it applies to this or whatever. So uh, for people sensitive about that, just keep in mind that I'm just informing this through like the experience and then and things that have happened to me. And if I say generalizing things at times or whatever, it's, it's, I'm painting with a broad brush or whatever, but I've, it's like my, my experience. So anyways, I grew up in a house with a, a Haitian dad. He came over to America when he was like seven or something like that. Um, and grew up in Asbury Park, New Jersey, and met my mom somewhere in mid-20s, and they married. My mom is a Black woman in California and D.C., so whatever. Um, I can remember my dad, <laughs> he didn't talk a lot about his childhood, but things that he did talk about were like abuse and, and like inappropriate behaviors that he did. Um, <laughs> you know uh the stories that he used to tell of his father were of like punishments for getting moves wrong in chess involving like torture kneel on this rice or or like hold this chair in this crazy position and stuff like that or whatever so like that's the level of not allowed to get it wrong my dad was dealing with uh over in haiti um but then also my dad would you know just be like i remember when i was a kid you know we used to put mirrors on the on the bottoms of our shoes to look up girl skirts and stuff like that and you know wink wink nudge nudge to the to his son you know i can't remember if he's telling if he used to tell these stories around my mom and you know maybe even if he did she might have just been you know boys will be boys about it but i just remember uh, those were the things that she had objections to and stuff like that so i just remember hearing these kinds of stories a lot like from the earliest age that i can remember my dad telling me stories of like when i was you know, in middle school, we were running around playing run, catch, and freak. And he was like, we didn't call it that, but, you know, and he didn't go into so many details, whatever, but my God, did he love to tell, like, those kinds of stories. Um, you know, he was prepping me to be his strip club buddy. When you turn 18, I can't wait to take you to a strip club or whatever. And I always found that, even when I thought I was into women, I thought that was just, like, so strange of just, like, why would I want to go to that place with you? This doesn't seem like a place that you, you know, there are some people who do go to trip clubs with their dads. Uh, I'm going to call that not the norm, but what do I know? Um, <clears throat> so, so there was, there was lots of stuff like that um, of just him seeing me hanging out with like, by the time I got to middle school and he's like seeing the friends that I'm choosing or whatever. And he, in his head, he latches on to like my most alpha friend is just like, why can't you be more like that guy? You know, all of my life has been my dad seeing any sort of like any kind of feminized behavior, any kind of any small sign of gayness being like snuffed out like immediately. You know, I had to change the way that I ran uh, the, 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 the mannerisms that I did with my hands. The things that I would say were always just being like constantly uh constantly judged and um you know why can't you play sports you'll get taller if you play basketball um you know why can't you just be into things that like normal boys are into and stuff like that so that's just you know that kind of influence then there was actual like what i just called spankings but people are now telling me is is abuse you know 
like my whole life it was just like i don't know you just get spanked you talk back you get spanked you know you 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 uh bring home a bad report card you get spanked and stuff like that and then i hear stories from friends who you know wild out in front of their parents or saying all kinds of stuff or whatever and maybe a smack on the mouth but like never this this whole process of like go and get the belt and like go get the instrument of your trauma and bring that back to me like even to this day if somebody like pops a belt by like smacking it together it's just like a just like why would you even want that sound uh but so the you know up until middle school there was spankings and things like that but then by the time i started like becoming a teenager and forming my own opinions and stuff like that it's like my dad couldn't wait until i was like physically big enough so that he could fight me because like around 16 17 it was always him like my god i i don't know that i've ever looked at somebody with this much like hatred in my eyes or whatever but like just for disagreeing just for 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 rolling my eyes or something he would be in my face in a moment's notice just being like step up then do something about it i've been five four since like middle school <laughs> like i'm not an imposing person i'm he was maybe five seven or something like that or whatever so he's always towering over and and always challenging and and all that kind of stuff whatever so like i don't know this is the person that's supposed to be uh my protector he provided you know uh it's, it's like a small part of the story going forward but that's of note was it like i grew up spoiled you know uh and that's not a lot of like to to, to, to what i experienced it's not a lot of i don't know like black boy experience of just growing up anything i wanted you know i just had to make a big enough stink about it and i got it eventually my dad had a good military job so we didn't pay rent we didn't pay utilities and things like that so he just had disposable income but also he was like an immigrant and he wanted to like his kid to have more and then i just became like a spoiled shit like i used to i used to experience the, like the smallest form of anxiety attacks uh like when things like when no was said to me like when i couldn't have stuff or whatever like i feel I can still access this like pit of gravity welling up inside of me of just like, why? Like, what do you mean? No. And why? So that <laughs> is, is like a powerful thing to then add with, you know, toxic behaviors and ideas about what's owed to you. Um, and and all that kind of stuff whatever so i'm just putting putting a pin in the fact that i was like spoiled and entitled growing up um and so that even feeds into the fact of uh and i guess this is another thing or whatever i just never had any respect for anybody's privacy other people's secrets were were like mysteries for me to uncover you know um every single we like i said we're military we've moved i've lived in like you know eight nine different houses throughout my childhood and stuff like that so um <clears throat> every place that we went every friend that i made as soon as i had the chance i was going through their stuff just going through their underwear drawer i just want to see what's there my brother i've broken locks on his possessions because like i just needed to know and i, I just didn't care you know like uh <laughs> and so that is another like factor going forward that developed early you know i from the beginning from, from like middle school on i would just open my christmas presents ahead of time and 
just to know because I just like no no secrets, you know, could be like held to me. So whatever things uh, of that nature. Um, still talking about in home. Um, you know, my dad uh, ended up be- cheating on my mom like a bunch um, to the point of like I mean it started. I remember being eleven in Guam and recognizing that my dad was going through some sort of like work uh situation like an hr type of something was happening at his job where he was in trouble for something and even at 11 i could tell it was something of a sexual nature my dad was accused of something or whatever the case may be and i remember that that halted his career from moving forward he was on upward trajectory in the military or whatever and everything stopped after that incident or whatever so like (laughs) feels like you know after the after we get to the end of this podcast or whatever, I, I will then feel like I've now fulfilled, you know, the fucking destiny of the, like my dad. I tried so hard to not be like him. I tried so fucking hard. And all I end up doing is, is like being a different version uh, of him. Yeah. We did an episode on that. Uh, and that if listeners go back and listen to it, like a lot of these same anxieties are, are, are resurfacing like now, like the fear of ending up like your dad, um, you know, repeating the same behaviors. Uh, and I guess like, no matter how hard you can try to avoid that, it, you seem to like always run into it no matter who you are. Um, oh, it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. I mean, they're, they're basically, they're setting the precedent for what is normal behavior your parents. Like those are the people that you learn from. And like you, you even seek to emulate uh, their, their behavior, even if like, you know, in your case, like you're a homosexual, your dad was heterosexual and you still are trying to like emulate how he relates. Mm. Oh my gosh. I remember, I remember when LimeWire became a thing, I was like 15 and he, he asked me to show him how to look up porn online. Yeah. Um, my parents were trying to like hide that shit. Completely. No, I remember going, coming home from school and pulling girls gone wild out of the mailbox and being like, I know I didn't order this. Yeah. Uh, that's my dad's. I remember when AOL gave you access to like different passwords. My mom was never like tech savvy. She didn't give a fuck about AOL, so she wasn't using it. And um, I had like four different screen names and my dad had his main one and then he had a second one. And that second fucking screen name was like peeping you, like 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 peeping Tom, peeping you 63 or whatever. That's his birth year or whatever. So like Damn. this is... I don't think I, I don't think you've ever told me that story. This is what I'm talking about of like yeah. things just popping up now that I have to think about it actually of just like, yeah, my dad's always been a creep. We went to Brazil when my mom turned 40 and uh, half of the vacation film is of my dad filming people's like butts at the beach, girls butts and stuff like that. You know, I don't even remember most of like the memories that I took or the pictures that I took. Everything else was coming from his point of view and it was all just like that. You know, my dad was just like, just a hyper sexual person and he was a creep about it and that's that's what i experienced at home that's just that's just at home okay so then moving away from that i mean we're gonna come back in and out of that because there's a lot to cover um then we talk about i do have one question before we move from home Um, i've been sitting with the question like what was your concept of privacy within the childhood home because i hear like even having your parents' screen names and like, you know, the complete transparency of sexuality, um, it's really uh, apparent to me that 
while there were a lot of things your parents gave you in terms of ideas about how to treat other people and um, idea, some ideas of privacy, they mm. also weren't teaching you anything about boundaries. So it's what they give, gave and also what they didn't give, right? There's supposed to be a combination of both there. Sure. Um, so that question, uh, my, my, my question is like, what was your concept of privacy as a kid? Well, my mom, uh, my mom has always respected my privacy to the point where let's say it, it, like I would hang out with my friends. We would get into mischief. I would come home and just tell her about it. Like I would just come home and unload and dump and just like I'm talking to a pal. So in that she trusted that she pretty much knew most of what was going on in my life. She never snooped. She never went through my things. I never came home and, you know, she was like, I found this never happened once. Uh, my dad was, was always weird about the way that he would approach that kind of stuff. Like when I was like around 15, had a computer in my room and like every time he, he would knock on the door, but he would always be like, you in there chirking off, you in there choking your chicken and stuff like that. And just like, yes but but also like maybe not all the time but you know uh and and uh yeah i don't know i i, I remember i was always going through my my brother's stuff and uh he he would yell at me but nobody else was just like hey man you gotta knock this shit the fuck off that never happened you know we were always a very independent family as soon as whatever age that we didn't have to, like have dinner at the ta table together it never happened again we were just like cool peace bye brothers over here dad's over here cheating on my mom a bunch my mom's over here spending his money and then i'm over here getting into anything i can get into behind the scenes um <laughs> what was the uh, expectation of privacy like between your mother and your father my dad like he had his own how do you mean like he had his own room where he kept his belongings and things like that or whatever um but what, what do you mean like in say that room was that like off limits to your mom like did she respect that boundary oh yeah i don't think my mom was ever a snooper i just don't think that's in her personality and so she was a very trusting person of just like look i'm not she's not interested in creating a narrative in which she's like accusing people of stuff that's you know that's just never what that was and i think my dad super took advantage of that i remember when I joined a soccer team, I, I, he was my soccer coach all throughout elementary school. I stopped. I was like, I don't like this. So whatever. Then in middle school comes around and he's just like, Hey, Jerome, no middle school. This is like towards like maybe my freshman year. He's just like, Hey, I'm coaching this team. It would really help me out if you would to be like on the team or whatever. And I was just like, fine, whatever. I'll give you a season. Um, <laughs> long story short, my dad, who once again, he's from Haiti all throughout my life. Every little, every little, um, the normal American thing that I wanted to do. It was just like, why do you want to do that? That's weird. Why do you want to sleep over at your friend's house? I don't understand that. So now all of a sudden my, my dad is pushing me to be friends with this one kid. He's pushing me to, Hey, why don't you go spend, spend the night at like Tony's house, whatever. I'm just like, this is weird, but fine, whatever. Tony's got a trampoline. I'll go spend the night at his house. Um, and so that became sort of like a regular ish thing. And some of the times, you know, my dad would, it seems like, like the car would pull away just immediately right after. But sometimes my dad would stick around and stuff like that. And my dad was famous. What a weird thing to be proud of. He's like, I don't have friends. <laughs> I don't have friends. And like, you know, that's just not, I, don't, I just don't do that. And like, so for my dad to make a friend with this kid's mom, this kid's single mom, and sometimes like I would see the car there, but then we look through the house and like, we can't see them anywhere. And like I would, I didn't go to the parents' room or whatever, but 
fast forward to like months later, I remember my mom asking my dad, like, who's this person that you're IMing with that like every time I come to the computer, you know, you're closing the screen and stuff like that or whatever. So those were the instances where my mom was just like, okay, well, this seems reasonable to, to be concerned about and stuff like that. Um, to the point where in my junior year, my parents separated, they didn't divorce, they separated. And my mom went and lived at like a woman's shelter. She was just like, I cannot be here. Uh, and she went and lived at the woman's shelter. And my dad moved a woman in like a week later and was just like, do not disrespect this woman. She was, do not, you know, like, you know, you will, it, it felt like I was watching my life happen in a TV show and I'm watching the role of like the dad that, that says the cliche thing of like, this is your new mom. And like, you will respect, I was watching it happen and just being like, okay, I guess I play my role of like, fine, whatever, you know? 16-year-old me, 17-year-old me was just focused on 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 working and having fun with my friends and stuff like that. I assumed I didn't my mom said she was at like a woman's shelter that still just wasn't hitting. I've I don't know if you can understand or comprehend me like the idea of being like a selfish kid, you know? And like when you're a selfish kid and your mom says she's like a woman's shelter, but she's fine. And I'm just like, cool, you're fine, and I'm fine, and like I guess we're all good. We just experienced 9-11 last year or whatever. Like, mm, everything is crazy. You're fine. So, yeah, he moved a woman in like a week later. Um, and then she she was in and out for maybe like a month's time or something like that, maybe a little bit less than that. Eventually, she leaves. And then my parents get back together through like counseling and blah, blah, blah. They divorce two-ish years later. So, so yeah, that's what I was seeing at home. My dad clearly not having respect for the the, the marriage at all like any chance that he get uh he got into a car accident years before and that car accident was him on the way home from cheating on my mom or whatever uh yeah. so <laughs> that's at home so then there's things that happened to me as a kid and this is this is trigger warning to talk about like you know uh abuse of a minor and stuff uh I, earliest memory that i remember of these things happening was uh i was like seven and i went to spend the night at a friend's house and the friend had an older brother, and the older brother, and this is a repeating theme once again of uh, there's something about that like kid that all the parents were just like something something's off about this one. But like this kid, he's just doing a little bit too much. He's a little bit too extra. Um, and, and 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 I I like as a kid, you know, I'm always just listening, you know, and I would I'd hear the parents talk about it and stuff like that, and it was like I don't know, seems okay to me. So anyways, I go to spend the night at my friend's house, and in the middle of the night, his friend. Uh, there were bunk beds I was on the bottom bunk. He wakes me up and uh, he proceeds to like masturbate in front of me into a washcloth, just like maybe like, you know, a foot from my head and then, and then just leaves. And I was just like, okay, I don't know what to do with that. And then that was, that was just it. So it was just like, okay, weird instance. Uh, so Jerome, I know you've spent a number of years in Guam. Would you like to tell us about those? Yeah, that was around like ages nine to 11. And the major, major instances that happened there were a continuing uh, sort of, I guess, fascination with wanting to see uh, other boys' genitalia. But then also this older kid coming into the picture, um, let's say if I was, let's just call it three years apart. He was three years older than me at any given time. So uh, what's that? How did you get to Guam? My dad was in the military, uh, so that was just a post that we ended up at. Yeah. And um, 
this kid once again was another kid that uh all the parents in the neighborhood were just like something's off about him He's fellow military brat fellow military brat mm-hmm. yeah everybody there lived on base and uh yeah every every even even um at times like the other kids were just like you know why is this guy like that another person that um like i said uh when this person this person used me as like i i don't know i've always fallen into like a lackey kind of role uh in friendships um being five four i'm always surrounding myself with people who are like bigger than me i guess for the 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 idea of protection is nice because i was also mouthy as a kid too so if you're a mouthy kid you've got a friend that can sort of like back that back you up unequivocally that sounds great you know and so i yeah wow i can't even believe like i'm getting chills now how much i i forgot how just horribly annoying i was back then how just you know desperate for attention to make my friends laugh but at the expense of somebody else or something like that of course whatever and stuff like that so you know i end up with the kid in the neighborhood that all the parents are just like you know watch out for him or just like you know be be careful with that guy i don't really like you hanging out with him and stuff like that well at some point me and that other person developed i don't know i don't know how to call it anything else except for like i framed it my whole life as like a sexual relationship because at some point it felt consensual but how much consent can a nine-year-old give is is what I'd, i now learned you know uh even from like an older kid doing that like how much <laughs> how much agency does a nine-year-old really have um like and i get it is important that he is older because you're older and you should know better yeah and this was something that he initiated right yeah yeah and i remember talking about this with you before and you mentioning something along the lines of like you just like uh associated with it with that act as like a normal part of friendship between yes totally i so my mom was very clear my mom and my grandma were always very clear um you never touch a woman inappropriately you never do anything with a woman without her permission um that was made like explicit to me from like age four on so it was just like check you know with a woman got it i knew that i knew that you know i had gotten in trouble once before for 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 doing like doctor type stuff with a friend when i was like four but it was mostly just like put your clothes back on and don't do that but it was nothing more than just like hey you know what you guys are engaging in is also inappropriate or, or just i don't know how to talk to kids i don't know what you're supposed to say so so whatever it was just like pushed aside so then by the time it came to this kid in guam you know i just i just think that thought whatever we're doing was just totally fine um you know uh, there's a number of ways that your brain is going to at at any age especially as a kid reconcile what would be cognitive dissonance right mm. it's going to build a frame and a story that makes it normal and okay especially as you're as you have no other frameworks right totally. you said yeah. very clearly there like i've got a framework for how men and women interact and it has these rules and guidelines right. and then over here we just have a bunch of question marks yes right totally here with this again jerome this would have been 1993 to 1996 right. and this is like also back in a, a cultural period in the united states where there's like really no representation for um you know homosexual role models at all presented right. 
like cultural norms and like you know the the perception of these sort of things way different back then right um, yeah there was there was no this was this was way pre will and grace which is weird that that's like my first you know sort of media uh acknowledgement of like what a gay yeah. guy looks like and stuff and the, you know? the earliest media acknowledgements right were the ones that that pushed too long foo Fenway, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the birdcage. You know that your dad wants to snuff out at any opportunity. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. I imagine that's like a very confusing like framework to be working in. Right, right. And, uh, you know, this part will, you know, make somebody's stomach churn a little bit, but the the kid at in, in, in Guam referred to his, his junk as Oscar, you know, like because of Oscar Meyer Wiener, and he thought that was very clever. And I remember clear as day you know as soon as like his parents left because this was huge latchkey kid times and 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 also being in guam is fucking different and magical and living in guam on a military base your parents just aren't concerned with where you are at all you're on base it's fine you're with other kids cool you know nobody was checking for us at all so as soon as like his parents left the house or something like that it was like dicks out time I, i would say like hey can oscar come out and play like i remember asking that all the time and 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 at a certain point i guess this is when he left middle school and he got into high school he entered into a relationship with this girl and i remember this is the first time that i ever experienced like jealousy before um because all of a sudden now he wanted to stop doing the things that we were doing and to me i'm just like well why like what everything's been cool this whole time like we're having fun uh with you ejaculating into a dixie cup and us just like seeing what it looks like on different surfaces and just what whatever just all kind of things that we were doing including you know uh actual sexual acts more than just like experimenting and stuff like that so um beat you up too oh my god the kid would send me home all the time rug burns uh indian burns just like twisting my skin uh telling me racist jokes all the time jokes that with the punchline being like a chainsaw it sounds like run nigga 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 and just like shit like that all the time always always there was no way to like punch up at this kid you know a he was you know much taller than me but then b in this weird way like anything that i tried to come back at him with he was just outwitted me but it wasn't outwitting it was just him just being like you're not smart enough to like form an argument that could take mine down so it seems like i'm the smart one here it seems like i'm the winner in the situation and stuff like that um, and, and so, yeah, all those things, like I still just sought it out. I still wanted to hang out with this kid all the fucking time. Um, none of that, none of that changed anything to me until, uh, years later in high school when I was, uh, Oprah taught parents how to find temporary internet files and things like that on the computer. Um, and then eventually I was just like, whatever dad I'm by, cause he just kept on asking, what are these things? What are these things? And I used the incident with the kid in Guam. At that point, I knew to reference it as just like, well, I can point at that. And I was just like, yeah, uh, this is what made me bi, or this is what made me gay, this this thing with the kid in Guam. And so then my dad sent me to therapy over it. And that was the only time that, like, it was the first time that I knew to think about it as like, oh, it's probably not right. But now it can serve me in this, in this, like, therapy sort of endeavor. But you know, uh, I don't know. Everything that happened in Guam, like I said, I in, until I was phys- like told 
that it was abuse, that it was that it was, you know, I was being like I don't know, molested by another kid and stuff like that. I just thought I was just doing what dudes do, you know, uh, and I knew that not every guy was into it. But in that I'd had enough samplings in my life and even even in Guam of like seeing it, convincing other guys to like expose themselves and stuff like that, that I was just like, I think people just need a push. I think people just need a little bit of a push and it's inside him and all guys are just like scared of it. And that was just like the beginning of a toxic thread in my head. Yeah. Nicole, from your point of view, like those kind of experiences at that young and age, I imagine are highly impressionable, right? Um, highly impressionable. And what I hear here is some very core base needs we have at that age um, for connection, validation, um, figuring out how we fit into a social structure based on how people react to us. And so what we, what we run into, what I hear in your, in your story, Jerome, is these needs for connection, attention, very core needs mm. getting met in a very unhealthy way. Right. And so they, they are, it, it serves in some way, even, even if the attention hurts, even if the attention is odd. And so it may not even be like, you know, driven by um, a sexual desire, but it's more of like, how do, how do I find connection? And not that sexual desire wasn't involved, right. but like, Hey, I have found a way to find connection with people and this is it. Yeah. Right. And so in, in those times, it both normalizing, but also serving serving the younger brain in a way, um, especially if the base has, the military base has very little structure, oh right? Gosh, that you are yeah. just kind of like running free. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it gives you gives you an anchor right. of sorts right. to have this kind of connection. And so then um, the that's, I guess, in terms of things that happened to me, like that, that I can point to of just like inappropriate, memory shaping thing that that was sort of it and then the next part is what picks up is where i have to you know this, this is where like the accountability begins but i guess i'll preface this before saying um everything that i'm about to talk about for the most part i talked about it already years ago on a podcast and nobody asked me to talk about it you know uh the podcast was just doing a segment on like what's the worst thing you've ever done and so then i tell them these things that I'm about to say or whatever. And then, you know, the record scratched in the room and everyone was just like, whoa, that's not cool. And you can't, you can't exist in this space with us if that's the kind of stuff that you're involved in and, and you're going to be doing and stuff like that. So once again, I'm not, I'm not in any way trying to like justify, you know, anything that I'm talking about next or whatever. It's clearly just, you know, having talked about it years ago and then now having their process it in therapy, this is just like what I know of the situation and stuff like that. So without fully jumping ahead, was that the first time someone was like, yo, dude, that's fucked up? Um yes, because it, everything that I've been doing was in secret at that point. Yeah, but you you knew it was bad. I mean, the I knew it was worst thing you ever did. Sure, 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 sure. Um, that's the first time that somebody in, in any kind of serious tone addressed it like that because, and, and what I'll get into at some point or whatever, is at times in my life, people have like celebrated the behaviors and, and, and sort of like championed them 
and stuff like that. So then by the time I got to the podcast, whatever was the first time that like a spotlight was put on and stuff like that. Um, so mapping this all out, we started with, you know, impressions and like of like how basic like uh, relationships are supposed to look like coming from your dad, uh, as well as like, um, I guess what you'd say would be like normative behavior and like sexual expression between two individuals. Mm -hmm. and this like overlapping theme of secrecy like throughout it you know dad's sneaky moves with the camera mm -hmm. uh, you're like actively with this kid in guam nicole I, and like you said between sexual expression between two individuals but hearing very clearly the sexual expression between two men yeah. right um being kind of formative and then also um uh, that it is that that dynamic that I believe championed some of your behaviors later mm -hmm. um, and what it was normalized within that specific male to male context. Correct. Yeah. 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 You know, basically asserting his will over you by either like insisting that, you know, his perception or his perspective is right and correct because he's smarter than you, blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's that echoes smarter, taller, older, all the things that I'm just yeah. like, yeah. And then his... the that related to you. That right. And then as a kid, you know, the older kid that you look up to supersedes and overrides anything your parents have to say, you know, anything that they might be telling you, this kid. One clarifying question that. I had, with this, the incident with this older boy in Guam, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you yourself interacting with him knew it as like, are associated with like just normal play activity. Uh, but did you know also that you couldn't tell your dad about that? And to me, about that. I didn't tell my mom about it either. To me, no, no. at this point, yeah, it was it was still under the, the the general umbrella of like kids keep secrets. Like we were in that neighborhood, we were all trading Playboys back and forth, stuff like that. So I knew not to tell my parents about that, you know. Yeah. So like I I just lumped it in with that. But then even within that is an even smaller thing of just like, well, I noticed that this older kid isn't telling his like adjacent older kid that we're mm -hmm. doing this stuff. I know that he's not telling it and I'm not telling anybody else. So like this then becomes our secret within a secret. Yeah. And yeah. this connects back to my first question about privacy, right? Yeah. Like without having a structure for like proper, like who to tell when models, yeah. you're constantly absorbing like, okay, in within this community of children, this is, this is what is proper information uh, transmission. Right. And then, okay, this is, this is how we do privacy within a dyad, right? Right. Um, and so all of that getting picked up at at this later point um, by a not optimal situation. Yeah, yeah. So then this, go ahead, Brian. You're back into a point in your life, you're you're not in Guam anymore. You're back in right. the United States. Yeah. And this is when you're like getting your teenage years, right? When you start mm -hmm. doing these sort of things on your own. Right. This is the this is the birth of the internet. This is you know first getting AOL and things like that, and thousands uh, we're talking to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so it's it's very easy. It's very easy in my life when I'm like in ninth grade. It was 1999, and you know 2000. It was tenth grade or whatever. So like that's the timeline we're working with here. For listeners to keep in mind that the time of when these things are happening is also very important. Right. 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 Not like cishet relationships. We're talking about homosexual relationships. Yeah. Um, that was the other context I had in mind when we were um, building the timeline is like, we're not out of the AIDS epidemic having hit in the 80s, right? Like, with that being a 
foundation it's both a foundational point in cultural knowledge about mm-hmm. homosexuality and mm-hmm. it also killed off a lot of people who could have been those yes. those foundational players in in demonstrating a healthy way of living in the world and i also like the fact that we were always on military bases there there are lots of people who grew up surrounded by family surrounded by people they can go to and things like that to me family is just like whatever they exist but i was never around them so like whatever they're just people doing their own things and blah 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 and stuff like that but specifically on a military base what openly gay dude was i gonna be like hey there's something about that guy i could probably learn the thing or two there was no case for that there's nothing anything like that until we didn't live in like a normal neighborhood until I was in high school. Um, so, so I've always been on like military bases where it's like, good luck finding any of that kind of stuff. Um, so, so yes. So the timeline goes from left Guam in 96 landed in um, this part of Virginia around uh, 97 um, enter me noticing that like oh age again say age again 12 yeah 12 all right 12 um i think there's something interesting about boys bodies don't know the word i i know that gay is derogatory i know that a faggot is something i don't want to be and things like that because this is what i'm hearing in middle school and stuff like that but i couldn't fathom that that was me i'm just like oh this is for some reason, I want to hang out with like the kids in neighborhoods that keep their shirts off and stuff like that. You know, um, I've always been, <laughs> always been a guy's guy. Uh, just really on some like He-Man, wound haters, uh, like little rascals style. Like I hang out with the boys type stuff. So like that's where I always was, always chasing after um, the boys in the neighborhood and stuff like that. Uh, always getting just as hurt just as often and stuff like that but even still like the idea of spending too much time with the girls could be problematic for me who is figuring out (laughs) i'm just like well shit if i'm i think i might be this thing that people don't like or whatever so like if i spend too much time with girls then like surely somebody's gonna know so uh 12 years old in this new neighborhood and there's a kid here's this theme again within the first week that I was there, this kid broke some another kid's collarbone because they were roughhousing too much. And that was his second time breaking that same kid's collarbone. Uh, and this is the kid that I flocked to. This is the kid that, you know, uh, within the space of me just moving there, I'm, I'm trying to find a place in the neighborhood or whatever. A football goes into like one of those giant dumpsters or whatever. I'm just like, sure, I'll get it. I'm nimble. And I, I jump in and he closes the lid on me. Uh, and like, grand scheme of things like okay jerome you closing a trash can or whatever but i ran home crying and that was the beginning of it this was like week one me moving in that neighborhood and the, the beginning of jerome why do you hang out with that guy why do you hang out with that dude if he keeps doing this stuff to you you know but he also is shirtless all the time uh so like again it's the combination of like attraction and people who are mean to you uh yeah well um, yeah this bully boyfriend sort of archetype right abuse i i there's 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 the comfort in this abuse because there's also protection you know my dad uh protected me by keeping me in things and stuff like that that was the the, why it was important to keep that relationship going and stuff like that whatever so with this person the the person the, the timeline with this person is maybe like age 12 to like 15 is is where we spent our time and um Throughout that time period, my God, 
they were just the most alpha person. This is, you know, when it's cool to be a pimp, uh, puff daddy age and all that kind of stuff, whatever. So all he wants to do is talk about sex. I remember we went to a girl's 12th birthday party and his intention was to take her virginity. Like this, this dude that I was picking to be the favorite person that I wanted to be around was constantly chastity why do you walk that way why do you talk that way you you're too you 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 bounce too much you seem to be too happy uh by the time that you know we're in eighth grade and i'm trying to get like girlfriends and stuff like that if he knew that i was into somebody he would step like physically step in front of me and and try to like win that person's affection or whatever because like it was just fun for him you know but then also at the same time like come on rome why why are you being like that why are you such a pussy like go get some girls come on like stop playing pokemon let's go get girls and stuff like that so like this person also fit that criteria of like being the the kid that the parents didn't like i was just gonna get into that yeah the parents in in the same breath of jerome this person sends you home crying all the time why do you hang out with him and then my dad met that person and then now my dad looks at me like maybe you are being a little punk jerome and like maybe you should be more like this guy you know uh that's how that is are there any spaces at this age that you felt encouraged you to just be you as opposed to constantly be modifying to these other ideas? When I wasn't in, when I wasn't in view of these sort of like alphas that I was trying to, 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 to win their approval, I guess, because when I was with all of, this is weird, when I was with all of like my, ba- this is in the structure of like friendships, when I was hanging out with all the people who weren't assertive and we were just hanging out to have a good time, whatever. I was the silliest fucking kid. And and like I said, when Pokemon became out, it became my identity. And and, and it's it's only worth mentioning, or whatever, because later on in eighth grade, me and uh, a friend of mine were having a discussion about Pokemon the card game. And then this older kid, this kid comes in. He's only in a year older than me, but this kid, we'll just call him Kid A. Um, <laughs> he comes up. And he like enters the debate and we get into an argument. And so then the next day I go to school and I'm talking to friends and he comes up behind me and just starts going faggot, 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 faggot. And he just doesn't stop until I leave. And that carries on for like a week's time or something like that. But we still end up making up. We still end up being friends all the time. This person is once again, he's not as tall as the kid in Guam, but he's definitely like the only person that I know that's working out in seventh grade. Um, and, and, and unlike, the kid in, unlike the kid in Guam, right. Uh, there was no sexual dynamic to this. Relationship. None whatsoever. No, this, there was no mistaking how straight this guy was, you know? Um, and that's just it. Um, and of course, throughout that whole experience, experience, uh, homosexuality was looked down on, faggots this, another another white kid that would tell me racist jokes. He would even say, he's like, yeah, I'm allowed to say, say the N-word, but like if I said white trash around him, it was, he would blow a fuse, you know? Uh, so another person that would like enforce their, their will over me, and I'm just like, sure, okay, I guess, you know, if I, I can't really fight you on this, and uh, I seem to always end up back in your, back in your company and stuff like that so whatever the case is but i mean anybody from that age if you mention that kid they'd be like oh that guy was a fucking nightmare and that was my best best bud nicole what do you make of that 
<laughs> like, what oh. is that? What is the impulse to like hang out with people that, for lack of a better word, like oppress you or are, or, you know, kind of like just bully you and constantly torment you? So you've got multiple things coming coming to a point here. You've got the the long childhood patterns that say it is appropriate and acceptable for attention to not feel comfortable, right? It is normal and okay for um, for the people that, like you, you have this caregiver role. As a child, you don't have a distinction. Like these are your parents. They are your, your physical safety. It's not just like, oh, I could die. It's like, yes, like you are, everything relies on, on your parents or caregivers. And so these very early uh, structures are built that say like, this is just what normal care and affection looks like for it to be uncomfortable, mm-hmm. for it to hurt, for it and for it to kind of give me that that internal dis-ease about what they're saying, right? So I'm thinking about like the strip club examples, the um you know, just oh what I about, my, my dad used to my dad uh was one of these people where he would learn a phrase and then that just became like the thing that he used or whatever. And one of the phrases that he learned was, you know, I'm doing this because I love you. So like the spankings at the end of those would just be like, I only did this because I love you. Absolutely, right? And so not only is it care and affection that are now like totally twisted out, but love, Mm -hmm. right? And so we we get these crossed wires early and they manifest. So you take that and you you build that in with the early experiences of a close interpersonal relationship, added in sexuality, and there's no boundaries, right? Mm -hmm. Like Jerome never that again, this is why my questions have been around like privacy and like listening to how the sense of self is developed, there's no boundaries between Jerome and the other people and what what behavior is uh, acceptable to to cross that boundary, right? right. Um, and so not having, in, in this, again, I'm not a child development expert, but knowing that in these, in these teen years, so much of the identity is being built off of kind of a ricochet effect of like, I send something out and I see how it gets reacted to. Right. I send something out and it comes back as data, almost like echolocation. Like this is how wow. I figure out where I am in the world. Yeah. Huh? Big time. Yeah. And so you're getting these data points that basically don't have any anything for you to compare against because the childhood was so misaligned. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that sets in as normal. Right. That that is all creating this picture of normal. Um and so like it does not i do not blink to hear that you continue to seek these out um because we follow what is familiar Mm -hmm. and that and because familiar has become comfortable and so it's not necessarily the idea that oh well i just wake up and accept abuse every day it's like these these are the and you know these people in their own abusive way keep coming back to you right and so you get that affirmation of like there must be something here they keep coming back to me right wow oh boy (laughs) sorry (laughs) no i mean because because that's yeah this whole thing of like get abuse and 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 they come back to you give abuse and they come back to you sort of informs why i i carried on my behaviors and into such a late age because 
going back to the guy from Guam, sorry to cut you off, mm-hmm. but I just, when Nicole said spark a question in my own mind, uh, when when that when that kid moved on and like began like a you know a relationship with a woman on Guam, yeah, uh, and you were like no longer denied this like uh, fun activity, pleasurable activity, early sexual experience, right? Right. Have an impulse to like out him then, or did you keep the secret still? No, um, no, I didn't. I didn't even know that like that would have been like a, a course of action. You know, I, I was just hurt. I was just like hurt and confused. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was just like I don't. I, I don't know. It was very like, how could you do this to me without even like considering my feelings? <laughs> All right, so taking that and my question now for Nicole, like that sort of like. Um, that willingness to like take these experiences and keep them to yourselves. Is that like a trait that abusive personality types like seek out can identify in people? Do you think people like that in Jerome's life that functioned in this sort of role identified that quality and exploited it? Yeah. I mean, simple answer is yes. Um, Because Jerome, like if you, if you trace like, not having not having when when we are in a chaotic home environment as children mm-hmm. we learn we start learning early on that my perception of reality isn't what other people are reflecting back to me so i must be wrong right and so as jerome continues through these things anytime he's hitting cognitive dissonance there's and like people respond to chaotic home environments in different ways um but this pattern in particular is like my feelings can't be trusted because I've been told so many, I've been gaslit from an early age. So I don't trust that my feelings are accurate to reality. So I'm going to absorb them. Feelings. I wasn't like allowed to feel things. My mom, of course, always created this space of just like, you know, physical affection and, and, and love and stuff like that. I, I could never deny that or whatever, but uh, you know, uh, everything I was made cry baby all the time every time i was like, like crying about something i was a cry baby stop crying be a man um so and then even by the time that i became a teenager and i started to form opinions there, w- there was nothing it was just like a under this household my opinion is like that's just it and i don't give a shit what you have to say you don't pay for anything and that's that so the idea of like I, I struggle now as an adult to advocate for myself in any sort of safety feeling when I was, I remember when I was clubbing, I would just like let dudes just, I don't know, like feel me up or whatever. Cause I'm just like, I guess this is what happens. You know, you just let people do that because we're in the space. So like, like we're in. So like, let this dude touch you. And that's just that. So, so like, what takes, what, when you have, when you're being conditioned to sort of accept those sort of experiences as part of normal. Uh, and this is a question for, for both Nicole and Jerome. Ask Jerome from your own personal experience and Nicole from your expertise. Mm-hmm. Like what flips the switch for then a person to like exert that expectation outward from themselves onto other people? Because that's ex- essentially what happened uh, a little bit late, like with, with this friendship with this person in Virginia. I mean, it can, it can be so many things. It can be exposure to people who do it differently and feeling called to an environment where you can just be different. It can also just be a maturation thing of like, man, I'm kind of sick of this. And now I'm taller, stronger, you know, getting more validation of being a powerful force in the world. 
and I'm going to I'm going to flex a little bit, and we see it I, in Jerome's story and otherwise. I'm going to flex it in the way that I've seen it flexed, yeah. right? Um, it's going to follow those same models of of behavior, and because in the past, I want to finish your question, Brian, of like people started experiencing Jerome as someone who would not push back and not there wouldn't be consequences to the abuser's actions plain and simple right it would get absorbed and moved elsewhere and that allowed them to continue their behavior and they were happy in those patterns right or at least had their own momentum um so there's there's a number of things that can um kind of allow allow the person who used to be absorbing to start pushing back out but they really like again we can't practice behavior we've never seen modeled so we go with the models we know right yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, and i guess only in hindsight do I, or now with where we are in like social media and all this kind of stuff, do we have the term grooming? And I didn't essentially think that I was being like, nobody was just like, this is how you're like a good, nothing so literal, but it definitely was this thing of just like, we just had this bonding experience and like this bonding experience could potentially exist out there with other people. They just don't know it yet. And like at some point, I felt I started to feel emboldened, just be like, okay, well, like let's start pushing the trigger. Let's let's start pushing on trying to get this experience from other people, however it is. You know, what with, with with where I'm about to go, we're still in this time period of like twelve to to fifteen. This is to me the birth of like the internet age. You know, I get instant messenger, I get AOL, and is this is the beginning of like what we learned here is. <laughs> if I get a tool and there's a way that I can use it inappropriately, I'm going to find out. I'm just going to at least push the boundaries and see. And uh, not that that was like my intention, but that's just a natural place that I ended up somehow. Um, So, okay. Uh, A couple of things that the letter addressed was me catfishing my friends, um, uh, trying to get nudes out of them, but then also it addressed me assaulting a friend in his sleep. Uh, when I was a teen, and those one, two, three, all three checks out. Those, that's where like the truth of the letter ends. Um, letter also goes on to once again from the perspective of the person I assaulted, say that uh, Jerome probably drugged me, and then signs the letters like one of the many teens that Jerome assaulted, and it's like, okay, those parts incorrect they were taking the momentum of this letter and everything that was going on and stuff like that and being like this is a natural enough conclusion to come to and i can just throw it in under the radar and like people will probably not check for that uh and i guess that's just this is just the moment where i just say like these those things aren't true um this is like once again age 12 like this is the first time i got the internet um and exactly what happens with screen names and avatars you have something to hide behind so now with the internet, I'm seeing what gay porn is and stuff like that. And I'm seeing, I'm finally having access to these kinds of things and recognizing that, like, yeah, I probably do have an interest in my guy friends, but how do I explore that? And so, you know, nobody gave me instructions on how to make a fake screen name and start messaging your friends. I just did it. And then, you know, over the years, the friends found out and they were just like, yeah, I had a feeling that was you. And that's why I didn't do it. You know, this is like from like age 12 and on. Um, 
and I, I, I didn't always do that. I feel like I probably by the time I got to high school was maybe like the last time I'd attempted to catfish just because like the, the returns on it were, were very low. And I was just like, all right, this is, you know, not really working so much. Um, so that's like addressing that. Uh, and then there's the talk about the sexual abuse. Um, this friend that I've been talking about this whole time this this bullied figure that I'm still so attracted to, you know, um, at a sleepover. This was fast forward to age 15. I was like 15. We were both 15 this time. And uh, I just let my curiosity get the best of me. And I was just like, what if this is, you've been reading all these erotic stories from this website and all these erotic stories talk about like a first time experience, you know, and it's always takes place in like camping or at a sleepover and stuff like that or whatever. So I, I guess, and once again, this isn't a justif I'm not justifying these actions. All I'm doing is attempting to like figure out what led me to this, but I was just attempting to facilitate my own like first time experience um, of, 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 you know, an age where like now I'm opting into it and stuff like that. Um, and there were no conversations about consent around this time. Um, I knew, I, I knew because I, I knew I wasn't supposed to do it to women that you probably aren't supposed to touch people inappropriately at this point or whatever, but 15 year old me just said, you know what, this is it's probably going to be fine. Worst case scenario, this person wakes up and like beats you up and, and then you go from there. Like that was like an accepted consequence in my head. And so the incident, you know, it was over as quickly as it started. Um, another instance where I was just like, well, there was nothing gained here. I, nothing positive happened. Uh, I didn't get the expectation that I wanted. This person didn't like wake up. And now all of a sudden we're having like this experience that I can just take this site and write about like nothing. The person was a hard sleeper. And then that was that. Yeah, the so, house fantasy didn't didn't come to fruition. Right. So then um, I say this is around 15 because shortly after this, I got a job. I was working at the movie theater. And then all of a sudden, this person, Kid A, is like standing outside of the movie theater and looks pissed, looks real upset. And sometime in between then, I had told a friend and she told him because he, he was unaware that anything happened. Um, and so when he found out, I found out. And like, when I talk about just like textbook bully stuff, he's just standing outside of my job, like cracking his knuckles, you know, waiting for me to, to get off. He'd send me IMs saying like, you know, I'm going to be the last thing you see before you die. And, you know, just all kinds of stuff. And everything in my life was pointing to just like, holy shit, holy shit, holy shit. I was like terrified for quite some time. Um, Nothing ended up happening. I, 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 what, I say that just because years later, at a movie theater, I wasn't working there anymore, but I happened to see this person at the movie theater, and I saw him in the distance, and I, like, went and hid. I hid for, like, five minutes, thinking it was just, like, shit. I can't. Sorry. This is going to UPS truck just came by. <laughs> yeah, get it out, Lucy. Cool. Okay. So at this point, I'm at the movie theater and I see this person and I go and hide. And then I think everything's clear. So I go out into the lobby and this person's waiting there for me uh, with his girlfriend at the time, his middle school crush. And I was just like, wow, he actually ended up with her. That, that's 
pretty cool for him. Uh, but then he says to me, he's just like, hey, man, that shit was all water under the bridge. We were kids. You know, it, that was years ago. It's very whatever. That was the first time that we sort of met and talked about it. This was like, I was like 19 at this point. Um, and so I won't go into, basically, like, things had been reset, but now we were adults. And so it wasn't like we were going to go back to, like, hanging out sleepovers and stuff like that or whatever. But we did continue to have, like, a loose relationship. Here we are, age 35. The day that that letter in Pittsburgh was sent out to all those people, the first thing I did was message that that person on Facebook. I got up and I didn't say like, hey, did you send a letter? I was just like, hey man, how's it going? And this person was just like, oh great, how's your mom? Blah, blah, blah. You know, we're, we are at this point as, as good as we can be considering, you know, I, I assaulted him in his sleep and he didn't know and he had to find out from another person. And yeah, it was like, I, I going forward when I talk about the other stuff that I did or whatever, those always, I was always able to like push forward because those things felt victimless. I didn't see the effects of it. I never saw anybody's face. I didn't, nobody was standing outside of my job uh, threatening me. Everything that I did and that I got away with, I was just like, well, if nobody knows and nobody can get hurt sort of thing. And this was the beginning of me sort of being, uh, doing sort of like heinous things and then being forgiven for it and seeing that like, okay, well shit, like, even this person can can get over that. But even still, you you realize uh, you told me that the in you know from your life story, like you right. Once you realize that that physical assault was a line that shouldn't be crossed, because you said I think you phrased it once when you told me that you, you saw the hurt in this person's face. Yeah. After, I you, it was more anger that I saw, but I saw it. Yeah, and and and. The, the way you sought gratification after that incident was to do it, in your view, as discreetly as possible, which was right. just, you know, a, a peeping Tom. Right. And in and, and therapy, uh, my therapist talks about this, this sort of like dangerous combination, shame, secrecy, and uh, silence. So I'm living in shame about being gay and having no way to, no, no way to talk about it. So I'm living in gay and shame and silence and then everything that i do is in secret so like every interaction that i have to try and figure out my sexuality or whatever is in secret because i'm not telling anybody about it because nobody knows and stuff so you know i want to circle to that and circle back to that because like to to expand the context of you like read like absorbing porn and stories from the internet I mean, this is one of the reasons that there are so many anti-porn advocates who mm. want to to dismantle it because it, you know, it doesn't make for good porn to have an extensive conversation about consent prior to to diving into it, right? right. Um, so you have no models for that. Um, that's why there's so much attempts at legislation for requiring condoms in porn is because mm. what we see there gets absorbed, and so we we have a lot of um, political policy advocates and just otherwise that see there is no sexual education um i come from an abstinence only state um so kids kids are sponges they are absorbing they are learning they're going to get it from somewhere cue the internet Mm -hmm. and suddenly this is this is the only information you have to build something off of 
Um, and so I really appreciate that even then you were like, well, this is how it happens, right? Yeah. And again, just it happens at sleepovers. It happens at like, this is, mm -hmm. this is how you awaken to these kinds of things. Yeah. Um, and so that is a much bigger phenomenon that was crystallized into this moment with you and this other person. Right. Yeah. And a little superstructure commentary during this early 2000s era, right? Which Nicole, you were saying like porn has such a, you know, porn is a major industry. Like there's millions of dollars that go into it every year. And it's, it's become a, a sort of cultural mainstay for America too. Uh, and Jerome and I were talking about porn one night in the kitchen from like a, a sort of like cultural hegemony perspective. And we, uh, we were talking about this one specific gay porn site called Bait Bus mm -hmm. back in the time, which was like this pseudo reality porn uh, sort of like genre where they like pick a random person up off the street and they have sex in a van and blah, blah, blah. Well, well, let's, well to break it down, they pick up a, a, a male off the street. There, there's two people sort of in the backseat of the van, a, a guy yeah. who's not involved. And then there's, there's a, girl. a woman. There's a girl too. And there's a woman. And yeah. so they, they, pretty much talk to the guy and they're just like you want to have sex with our friend like what would it take for you to have sex with your fan our friend in this van the woman and then she's like yeah i'll just do it and they're just like cool put on a put on a blindfold first so they put on a blindfold surprise you're having sex with a dude uh and i i flocked to those videos like bait bus was like oh this is fucking great this is before i knew that everybody that's walked off of camera signed a release form and that the whole thing is scripted I'm just like, wow, look at that. More examples of like, you know, guys are so horny that all it just takes is to, to, to push over to that next step and they'll fuck anything. So this is the knowledge that I'm armed with at 15 years old. And this is like, this is like your first kind of foray into like, like consuming gay porn, like right. identifying with like gay porn is something that you want, you like. Right. And this is what they're representing is like, you know, a gay fantasy essentially, which is a more or less scripted rape and there's something about it too that like jerome your first encounters with this are in a voyeuristic sense right mm -hmm. like like it, it comes into a lot of different kinds of porn consumption but to to have it feel i feel like today there is more of a, a separation between like this is porn it's an industry mm -hmm. and i i'm I'm not sure how well that translates down the generations, but at least then you really, not, you, like you just said, not having a sense that this is scripted and otherwise you feel like you're watching real people doing yeah. it. Yeah, right? I knew yeah. what scripted porn looked like. It was somebody with the pizza box and all this kind of stuff. But this yeah. to me was just like, oh, this is, just like, of course, I'm not reading the things at the beginning of the video, anything that might say in small print that this is, you know, actors in a scene or something they're not reading that i'm just like yo i just need to find these straight dudes that are horny enough to like you know go gay or whatever and there's, there's like some somebody might say like why not just find another gay guy to experiment with good fucking luck i could i could pick up a bunch of rocks and throw them all in the air and still not hit a fucking gay dude in the county so like you know or, or somebody that was out but I remember by the time I started coming out, I was still so many places up until my mid 20s. I was still the first gay person somebody met. So if I was the first gay person somebody met, I was the first gay person that I met. And I had no roadmap for this shit. Yeah. But, and then you have whatever 
I don't know, I wouldn't call it mainstream, but whatever cultural representations there are, you have on one side, like mainstream, like, you know, the cable news networks, our cable networks are gonna have shows like Will and Grace, like you were saying. So it's like this super flamboyant, super femme version of gay. And then you have gay porn, which is just more about like the thrill of, I guess, activating a first timer or something like yeah. that. And that's what it's like all based around. So between those two poles, like what does a person go for? Especially when you got a presence at home, like your dad, who is like, you know, like you said, willing to confront you with violence if he thinks you're acting, you know, inappropriately or in a way that he doesn't like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. It's a rock and hard place if I've ever heard one. Right. Right. So all, all that influence and things aside, I get to my first job and then um, in that first job, I got my first digital camera and stuff like that. And by this point, you know, American Pie had been out and my dad had seen the movie. I had borrowed my friend's web camera for like a week and my dad made me give it back. He was just like, nope, I know what this is being used for and, you know, give it back. And in that he was right because even at that age of 15, I was having like an internet online relationship with somebody who I later found out to be a friend's hockey coach. Um, I was like sending nudes of myself with my web camera to this person. And then I get to this, this movie theater job and I'm talking to somebody or whatever. And I'm just like, Oh yeah. You know, it was just like, Oh, by the way, this kid goes to your school. Do you know him? Cause like, I would love to like, you know, meet with him, whatever. And he was like, what's his screen name? I was like VA hockey, whatever, whatever. And he was like, uh, that's my coach's screen name, whatever. And I was like, yeah, but he's got like a kid or something like that. Right. And he was like, no, that was, that's like my coach flat out and stuff. Uh, so you know, these are, I'm, I'm aware that uh, technology and sex can now be combined and things like that. So first job, get my digital camera and taking pictures of everything. Fast forward to my best friend at the time and I drive down the coast to a friend's house for a sleepover. And this is like, you know, a couple hours away. And in this moment, you know, just I'm in a different different environment and I'm just looking around or whatever and I was just like interesting I already took my shower whatever, but that looks like a place where I could probably like hide my digital camera and my best friend that I came here with is about to shower well, let's go let's see if we can get away with it and that birthed that was the beginning of what then led to like years of that behavior in different points of my life um years and say too long you know uh i didn't stop that kind of behavior until i was outed with it even even when i was on the podcast and talking about it throughout that time that i existed in the influence of the people doing the podcast for those two years that i was living in new york i stopped everything i was just like totally cool i get it you guys told me this is like fucked up i knew it was fucked up but like you know, now I really know it's fucked up. And so I chilled and then I left that influence and I came to Pittsburgh and I was by myself and I just had time to myself. And then I just picked it back up again for, I used to like frame it as like a relapse, you know? Um, but that's like, feels disrespectful to people who are actually going through, you know, chemical withdrawals and, and, and all this kind of stuff. It wasn't a relapse. It was just, nobody's looking at me again. And like, I can just get back into it. And it wasn't just, you know, the uh, a digital camera in the bathroom, whatever. I, I very early on learned like what a key logger was. 
So I learned to like, you know, put a keylogger on somebody's computer and then I'll just get an email. And now I can see that they typed in their password. Now I can look in their email and like, once again, that, that, that curiosity, I was now given like a magical key with the internet to like, boom, yeah, it's, all the best stuff is in people's emails. So I'm just like trying to see what they, do you have nudes and blah, blah, blah. Is that the kind of stuff that you're sending or whatever? Um, and and so I, fi- I figured that out at like age 15. I want to draw a distinction because I think there's a an easy low-hanging fruit misconception that this feeling of getting away with it okay. coming from your behavior, that pattern is somehow inherently malicious sure. and it's not. Um, I, I want to draw that through thread because it started like, again, if we come back to this very basic human, um, experience of having needs, Mm. you were never in situations where these things were given freely, right? It was always like at the expense of dealing with these people who could hurt you. Right. It was always having to navigate a situation where you were physically in danger or subject to abuse or otherwise um, in a in a lower power power position with with these people who could give you what you wanted. If that was material things like your parents, like you said, you were spoiled, like you had a lot of those base things taken care of, but a lot of other needs not getting met. And so I and then you transfer that into this era where. You know, you can't just get a gay hookup app, right? You can't find the people to to meet these needs that you have. And so the the base human experience of having the need isn't going to go away. And so you have become uh, an opportunist and someone who is strategic because that's all that was the only way you were getting some of your needs met as a kid. Right. And so for that to continue in here, um, obviously you're starting to, in in your story, grapple with ideas of morality, right and wrong. But I want to really make that clear that like that idea that like, I have to be self-sufficient. I have to get my needs met my own way. Like there had never been a a space where it was like, Hey, Jerome, you can just talk about these things and get your needs met. It was always like, if you were to talk about these things, you will get shut down hard and it will hurt. And so that, and I mean, bigger picture, self-sufficiency individualist is very deeply Western culture. So you're getting those light reinforcements um, from other places as well, even not to this specific context. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, It it feels as a person who's who's listening to this, who may have had something like this happen to you, like I I can't speak to that experience, but when I was doing all the things that I was doing to say that there is no, there was never any like malicious intent feels when I say it out loud, it's like, I know that's my truth, but to somebody else, it might feel like, how is it not malicious? How is what you're doing? Not from like a dark, evil, you know, hurtful, hateful place. And like, I'm not going to be the one to say that it was in a place those trying to like seek out love. Because once again, if you've been hurt and somebody tells you that this thing that they were doing was, you know, because they, they loved you like that, that sentence it's like ash on my mouth. When I say it, even if in moments I felt it to then come out and say that I would net like seeing enough TV and seeing enough stuff, whatever to know that it's just like, that's not, that's not it, dude. Like that's not, that's not how you, 
express that. You know, that's not how you get that, and and things like that or whatever. But 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 everything that I did was was you know it stemmed from like an obsession. Um, I do want to take a moment. One of the reasons I was really interested in being on this podcast is because I've spent a lot of time working in rape crisis centers and studying um studying sexual violence and mm. i something that i would love for the audience to to hear and take away is that to call it evil to assume some sort of deep um primal malice mm-hmm. um is is something that we are fed as part of rape culture and it allows us to it's it's a low-hanging fruit and it is encouraged so don't feel bad if that's if that's where you're coming from but if we can, if we feel like we can walk around the world and be like, good person, good person, bad person, mm-hmm. then we can easily exile the bad people and then we'll be safe. Right. And it allows this way of being in the world that doesn't require a lot of critical thinking. It doesn't require you to embrace people as full humans that have done bad things and good things. Right. And that is the core of this transformative justice model that believes in the capacity for change. Right. Um, if we if we kick out everyone who's fucked up, mm-hmm. there's not going to be anyone left. And so it's it's a very difficult invitation to accept, but to say that being someone who has committed sexual harm does not make them evil. Right. Evil is a shortcut word that allows us to not have to worry about things anymore. We can give it a permanent label, kick them out, and be done. And the world's not that simple. Um, I love that we talk about the bigger structures because there are parts of our exploitative capitalism that don't leave us time to think. And so it's, we only have the capacity to be like, bad person, kick them out. The thing that we're doing today, taking space, creating this dialogue, we're not supposed to have that much time. We're not supposed to spend that much time thinking about it and healing it and working on it. And so part of the big invitation that that I'm here to offer today is to is to see even committing sexual harm as part of a much bigger continuum and one that's not evil or necessarily like we haven't heard malice, especially mm-hmm. in in the or in the younger stories. And so I want to really start to tease apart what feels like a very tight knot of anything sexual harm related is evil. That's that's a shortcut and it's wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, it, just sort of piling on to the 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 theme of like the shitty things that I started doing as a teen and continued into my adulthood. Uh, another part of that was just like stealing people's underwear, which I, I remember. I, I remember listening to a podcast and the host was uh, interviewing somebody and he said, "Hey, you were, you know, staying over at so and so's place. Did you sniff her panties or whatever?" And like, just in the casualness that he said that, I was just like, "This is it. Must be." so fucking common so normal sort of thing but i i would just once again i've never i'd never to me and in my 16 year old 17 year old brain or whatever i was just like this is probably as close as this dude to this dude that i'm gonna get is being able to like smell him so like once again victimless crime you lose underwear in the laundry nobody's put out here so that's just like another thing and i say that because later on when I was caught like uh, uh, violating somebody's privacy and then I was exposed for it, one of the first things I did was I went to Brian and I was just like, 
oh, hey, you don't know this, but uh, I stole some of your underwear, but I also brought it back. Uh, so sorry. It was a weird moment. Uh, gotta say, first time anyone had ever really uh, confessed something like that to me. Um, didn't want the underwear back, obviously, and I needed to take a couple weeks uh, to of a pause on my friendship with Jerome. But this is the thing: the the instance in which Jerome's referencing, like with the with uh, these sort of like non consensual pictures that he was taking and these like creepy little warrior moves that he was doing. Um, like they were creepy and I recognized them as creepy as, as soon as, you know, I was confronted by them and, and had to like acknowledge that they happened myself. But the, the thing that I want to, to sort of like reiterate, and this echoes back to the larger point Nicole was saying about like, these things don't make people evil, you know, they, uh, and a lot of them, you know, as we've been discussing throughout this episode are, um, you know, patterns of behavior that we recreate as they're informed on patterns of behavior that are like, you know, impacted upon us. So I took my time, but the, 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 the key thing that made me realize that, I, yeah, Jerome is still worthy of friendship. Like he's still worthy of having people in his life that, you know, are, are like decent to him and like, you know, consider him trustworthy and whatnot is because he came clean about it. And uh, since that point, he's never, once backtracked on it or tried to like do some weird like justification of it in hindsight of how it wasn't really that bad and this this is an attitude that's applicable to everything that he's ever done and it's like talk to me I'm, you know we, we're good friends like we, we we talk about our, our shit air out each other's uh, skeletons in the closet and whatnot and he's never been it's never been one of those situations where it was, it was like I'm going to distance myself from this action or like try to like downplay, downplay my responsibility in it. It's like, it's always been, a, a, um, he's always been accountable and he's always been making a move to like get rid of these behaviors and become a better person. And when I see somebody who's consistently trying to put in that work, that's when I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. That's when, you know, I'm, I'm over this like urge to like excommunicate somebody from the flock and just forget that they existed. Because like Nicole was saying, if we did that for everybody, there would be no one left. Yeah, yeah, during during this time, and then we're, I'm, I'm talking about like around 2016 here when, when I told Brian and stuff. Uh, before any of this, <laughs> what, what kicked it off was, um, you know, I, I was in, in 2015, I was arrested for graffiti. And so then from that point on, like, there became sort of like a general drifting of, of certain people away from me based on their like, you know, their proximity to illegal activity, whatever the fuck you want to call it. Like people sort of just begin putting distance from me or whatever. And I'm like, cool, no problem. That's fine. I get that. And um, I'm going through court back and forth and back and forth, whatever. So I'd been going back and forth doing court stuff for like six months or whatever. And I, I had one court date and things went great. And uh, I came I came to like my friend's job that was down by the courthouse and I was going to like celebrate with him and just be like, Hey man, like things are going fucking fine or whatever. And as soon as I walk into the space, he was just like, Hey man, I heard something about like you and, and, and cameras and stuff like that. And that's all it took for me. I said, okay, man. And then I just turned around and walked out and then <laughs> I text his roommate and I was just like, Hey, um, I did this. I, you know, violated your privacy. And, you know, I know that sorry is not 
you can't, you know, retroactively be sorry for something you did on purpose, whatever, but it's worth, you know, like, uh, I think even then I said for what it's worth, you know, I, I just didn't think that it, like this was like a friendship impacting type behavior. You know, there was, there was times when in between age 16 and then 30 where friends had busted me for trying to like put the camera out and their response was just like, haha, sneaky, sneaky, but nothing bad. Nothing like, hey, dude, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. Or like, I'm about to tell the fucking internet and blow this other stuff. This was like 2005 or something like that. Um, and then at that time, I was existing in this like fratty existence where they were just like, and then when they found that out, they're just like, damn it, why can't you be straight and do this with chicks? You know, that was the response to it. The response was just like, you can't be around us anymore. And this kind of like the way that sort of we handle things now, when you find out that somebody's done something, whatever, it's just like instantly you cannot be a part of this. There wasn't that. They were just like, that's a little weird. Knock it off. Every Everything for, for, for a long time from, from like friends who knew about it was just like, hey, man, knock it off. And then I did. And when I was in after the podcast, there was a series of I would continue to be on the podcast and they would check in with me and they'd be like, how are you now? I'm like, oh, I'm, you know, 2.0 version of myself. Totally good. And like, blah, blah, blah. So then when I left New York and then I was by myself again, all that stuff that I was talking before or whatever, whether I believed it in the moment or not, I found a way to just be like, mm, once again, like if nobody knows I'm doing this, then like, why could I, what, what reason is there to like, not what reason is there to, to like feel bad? Cause that's it. It's just, I'm just looking at stuff. I'm just, it's all visual. I'm not touching anybody, whatever, whatever. So, so fast forward to, I'm in trouble for graffiti stuff. And then uh, a roommate at the time finds out that I was invading their privacy. And there's this weird timeline of, of like parallel timelines, right? Where I have this art career that just started and, and these people that are just finding out about me as an artist and stuff like that. And it's really positive and it's great. And so that's going up. But behind the scenes, everybody that knew me before my art career started in that part of my life, I was terrified just absolutely terrified of just like fuck when is this going to drop when are they going to say something i can't this is this is it this has to be it this like i cannot do this anymore or whatever because i'm i'm actually at a place in my life where you know i don't know i like myself uh and 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 in this moment now looking back at it it feels like me now is thinking I'm just like I needed money to pay for my lawyer and stuff like that so these art shows and things like that that was all taking precedence because I had like legal fees to take care of and stuff like that all that's to say because the, the letter that somebody sent was saying like how dare you having done these things to me in my life go on to like you're out here having an art career and and things like that you know how dare you do that when you've hurt people and stuff and so that's i even my screen name everyone hates chew i even i changed that because at some point i was just like mm, everyone's gonna find out about the shit that i've done at some point and everyone's gonna hate me so like might as well get the drop on them it was years ago that was like around the time when i started therapy i started therapy because i thought i had borderline personality disorder i'm looking at the symptoms for that and i'm just like damn all these things check out. I'm a be I'm this, I'm that. I must have borderline personality disorder. And then I start therapy 
And the therapy quickly becomes like, okay, well, if I don't have that, why am I the way that I am? Why have I done the things that I've done? And, you know, what led me to, to, to get to the place that I am now? And then how can I make sure that it doesn't happen again? How do I get to this place where I can unequivocally say like, yes, I did all those things. And that was in the past. And like, I am no longer that person. Fast forward to five years later of that same therapist. And I'm just kind of, or four-ish years later or whatever. And <laughs> this is like what I've been working towards this whole time is like this moment of like, I'm going to have to confront this to the public at some point, you know? This is a, a component of, of like what accountability means that I think a lot of people miss. Uh, accountability involves community, right? Because um, there's this idea of like airing your your skeletons, you know, your 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 bad actions of the past out, you know, like Napoleon's phrase, putting them into the sunlight uh, and putting them on display. But the thing is, if there's no one there to like witness them, recognize them, and then hold you accountable to them you have no, there's no real impetus for you to alter your behavior or want to change. Like you, it comes from yourself, right? But without friends, without people that care about you to like be like, hey, you're fucking up or hey, you're slipping up or like, hey, don't do that. That, you know, that could lead you down a bad path again. The likelihood of you doing that again increases. And I think you expressed that yourself because you had a sort of like accountability process when you were living in New York with Mm -hmm. these podcast people who were like, that's fucked up. What you did is fucking wrong. Like, don't do that. Like, and if you, if we hear about you doing that, like you're cut off from this community. Right. Um, and that's sort of like the same thing that you've gone through here in Pittsburgh, like, because you've, you've had to go through and talk to um, the art community and people who were giving you opportunities years multiple, ago. Multiple times. I've, yeah. I've had to address this behind the scenes uh, with different art organizers, people coming up to me and saying, Hey, I heard this thing about you what the fuck is up? And then me just being, having to, I mean, the bar that's directly across the street from my house. This was in the same month that I had the very first art show that I ever had up. Um, The people that were connected to the roommate that I violated were going around just being like, he's doing it everywhere. He's putting cameras in the bars. He's putting cameras in this places or whatever, because they don't know, because I'd never had a space to talk about it. As soon as, you know, that roommate found out, this person was just like, I'm not interested in what you have to say. you're manipulative. You're not, you're a kind of person that doesn't have the ability to change. And like, I want nothing to do with you sort of thing. And so then that person and their friends just sort of like took control of the narrative at that point to the point where like, I'm sitting at the bar and the bar owner comes up to me and he's like, Hey, we got to go upstairs and talk. And then I was like, all right. So we go. And he's just like, what's this I hear about you? Like selling artwork with cameras in it and stuff. And I'm just like, what? That's not even what? No. Uh, okay and so I just told him I was just like yeah I was like creeping on my roommates and it sucks and uh, I have no intention of doing it anymore and so I've had to have that conversation many times there there that's again another thing about accountability I think people misunderstand like and Nicole you can correct me if I'm wrong because you're the expert on this because we brought it on the podcast but like accountability is not being punished for the same thing over and over and over and over again whenever any random person that might feel some type of way about it just feels the need to bring it up um which is the indicate which was what this this in this instance this letter was now your victims are entitled to feel whatever way they want totally yeah you you did you know you stole a pair of my underwear for whatever fucking reason and i'm i was entitled to feel the way i feel about it now 
you know, I've chosen to move past it and get on with it. But I'm also like, you know, mindful of this shit. And like, if I see anything that looks like you slipping, and I think, I, you know, you know me well enough that I call you out and fucking check you on. Sure. Shit. Yeah, buddy. For like the past, you know, so and I talk about the like the fracturing of space because of up from the moment when I was like last exposed for violating my roommate's privacy and the art, the beginning of my art career, because like <laughs> the people who find this out and they're just like, Oh, I can't believe I was supporting somebody who was doing this or whatever. Everything had been wrapped up before I started sort of like making art and being a public person that like every person that I've met in every art show, I'm just like, and they, and they give me any kind of praise or accolade instantly i'm just like yeah but you're gonna hate me one day like you might like me now but like hmm, one day you're gonna find out and like you're gonna fucking hate me no way in there nicole yeah i oh i wish there were a simple solution because i hear so many different things here um that make forward motion difficult and the biggest one is absent community Right. Again, I opened with talking about how like you are holding multiple roles that are normally you are committed to multiple roles that are normally held in a community context. Right. Mm-hmm. Normally there are bridge people and different kinds of support advocates. And this allows the conversation to not have to happen over and over and over and over. And so this this experience that you're having where, um, you know, someone figures it out and feels like they have to light a big old fire about it is part of the is part of the experience of absent community for these people because they feel like their only option for response is to fucking throw down about it and it 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 perpetuates that old idea of there is no community that will be doing community accountability right so it, it ends up with you having to do accountability practices to each person as they figure out what what has happened right and that's exhausting and that is beyond the realm of how how these practices are are meant to be but it also shows that we're in a transition point where we don't have it down because it is still happening there's no script there's nothing to point out and just be like this is how how to handle it exactly and so you know that that is where i feel a lot of sorrow because I want to, oh, like, this is my message to you is, bruh, you can't pay penance for it your entire life, right? Like, in some ways, that is keeping it alive in a way that is far beyond, far beyond a proportional reaction to what you did, sure. right? Yeah. And, but, but beyond you, you are invited back into it over and over every time someone figures it out, blows it out of control, sends a letter with false information. Like mm-hmm. it is it is something that you also can't ignore and be like, no, nah, I'm good. Right? right. And so like when I talk about it being difficult, like that tension, that's where I want an easy answer for you. But we are we are we are working adjacent to this model. And that makes it really difficult because there is no community. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, there's there's and- there's been people who, you know, like when I talk about community organizers, there's people who, you know, stick their neck out for me and then they end up suffering for it. I've, I I, would like to use this opportunity to like apologize to anybody who has had to over the past five years explain my actions to somebody, actions that they don't even know really the whole story about, but they trust that I've been honest to them and and, and, and I'm honest about being committed to like not being a piece of shit anymore and stuff like that but um 
like uh there's there's like a certain art organizer organizer who is now people are saying the things that i did he did them he's getting backlash to the point where the letter that came out this person made a statement and they're just like hey you know we're we're very dedicated like making safe spaces and stuff like that chew is no longer allowed in our space anymore and stuff like that and and so going back to like nobody really knows like what we do about this stuff whatever like to me the safe space is doing what they need to do by handling it they're saying hey you guys are calling something out we're putting space between this and stuff like that as far as the accountability goes for that space that's it they've done their job of being like this person is no longer welcome in our space anymore and stuff like that it's no long it's now not on them to continue saying well actually what ends up happening after that is they started changing their practices of you know um vetting people coming into the space um and things like that or whatever so it, it just sucks that like you know so many people are, are are getting shit for things that i've done and for their participation with me in time since those moments happening and like i'm so fucking grateful for everybody who's who's ever done that but at the same time most of the time i'm just like look you don't have to if somebody says like drone's a piece of shit and just say like yeah okay you're right and then that's it like i've always told people i'm like look if you need to dis disassociate from me do that do what you need to do to simplify your life i'm so sorry that like i've been a stain on your existence in any kind of fucking way um and yeah do what you have to do to distance yourself from me or whatever because like i get it i did wrong things and like right now we're in a place where like nobody wants to stand next to the person who's done anything wrong but of course once again you know there's no way for that that other person to have the whole truth and stuff like that but what i always hope is that you just believe that i'm trying you know um that's that's it i hear so much so much compassion in what you're saying of really accepting people where they are and doing what they need to do if I slip back into more of like a transformative justice model, I'm really unhappy with what the art space did, right? Like they, they are effectively saying to all their members, the only way that we create safety is by exiling people who misstep. Mm -hmm. And so they are creating a, a space that is not in fact safe. It's silent because you have this, you have this example that says, if we find out it's, it's like a purity politics. Like if we mm -hmm. find out that anyone's not perfect, we kick them out of there. And that's not actually how safety is created. Safety is created through structures that allow us to mess up, pivot and come back. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's, it gives a false sense of safety. And that only sets a lot of people up for hurt and disappointment. Um, and it also, it also leaves, again, I'm, I'm just really struck with how it encourages silence mm -hmm. because everyone knows that if they mess up, there's no process like we're doing today where you can air it out and see it as a holistic thing uh, colored by so many other outside forces. Oh it's, put, it's put on the individual. It's cool. also false representation of transformative justice. It's, it's oh, yeah. outside of a system recreating the system that we have now, which is punitive, right? It's, it's saying that I find you as, as an individual judge uh, that you have done something that is worthy of exile or excommunication. So that's that's it. There's no other option, and nothing else is short. Nothing else short of that is acceptable. Uh, so when these people are are saying, you know, 
that they're into transformative justice, but the only option is, is their interpretation of events and their recommendation for punishment. That's not transformative justice. That's like Nicole said, that's not uh, an option. scaled down model of the prison system, yeah. right? Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. And, and talking to people because, you know, I, boy, when this letter came out, I took Instagram off my phone and it's, that's where it's been for, for like two going on three months now. Cause I'm just like, I, a, a, I said that I was going to address it. So I just didn't really feel right. Like playing around the internet when I hadn't addressed something serious that a lot of, that some people got. Um, but then B that was like a, that was a psychic blast that I've not experienced in quite some time. And I needed a moment to, to lay down, to think about it, to finally just being like, yep, this is what we talk about in therapy. And now the moments finally fucking come where you're going to have to talk about this and, and just own it. And um, we could put a super cut of past episodes where you're like dreading on, on air about uh, this event or this day coming that, you know, your cancellation. Uh, and yeah, I mean, just for it to come this way, especially because it's coming from for all intents and purposes, we can accurately say it's probably a bad faith actor. Uh, it just makes it even more troubling. But like, again, we wanted to do this as a, a sort of like a public accountability process to have Jerome go through uh, his life and explore these sort of like dialectical relations between, you know, your earliest experiences with sexuality, as well as like power dynamics uh, between your father and how that informs and determines your behavior going forward as a young adult learning to navigate the world on your own and the you know the idea when you can sort of explain this to people mm -hmm. separate from their own maybe like personal or emotional investment into an incident makes perfect sense everybody's like yeah we should take in context and like you know nuance opinions on where people come to certain behaviors or certain norms and how they got there and what that process looks like and how, you know, it's, it's just as much a part of like their own shortcomings as it is like the shortcomings of society. But when you're personally invested in something that's harder to see. Yeah, I wanted, I had this thought earlier when you were discussing the fears of becoming our, I'm gonna say our fears of becoming our parents, sure. right? But specifically yours and your dad, your dad's not doing this. Your dad's not showing up to make a, <laughs> look at you. Like, your dad's not showing up to have a public account accountability process. Like He dragged my mom through the mud in the divorce proceedings and he was doing everything wrong. It's just that yeah. he had the power and he's just like, well, I in the divorce proceedings, like he, my dad wrote the masterclass on gaslighting because he got my mom to this point in the thing of like you know subtle passive little shitty behaviors to the point where she burnt outbursts and then he goes you see you see what she does like this is what my dad did to, the, to my mom that he cheated on multiple times in the marriage on the way out and just like told all her relatives oh she's a lesbian and she's crazy now and shit like that just like awful stuff and he's not once apologized he's not once apologized for any of the things that he has done he has not once said to me like we haven't spoken in like six years or something like that because i just was tired of him at some point but he's still never been like look i was a p i was a world-class i've not heard anything close as a matter of fact the last time i saw him he's like a born-again christian now and i feel like he doesn't think that he needs to to like apologize or to even acknowledge the things that he's done I, I love that you brought in that divorce proceedings example because it's it's how we react to our own behavior that makes all the difference right like mm. i am not going to be perfect i cannot 
always get it right on the first try, but how I react to my behavior, that is where growth happens. And so, you know, you saw him doubling down in the divorce proceedings. And then here you are both acknowledging, first you have the awareness of what you did. You have the acceptance of it and you're putting something into action that most people cannot stomach. And part of that coming back to the art, art community is because there's no support for it. Right. right? right. It's like, and that, that speaks to me of the courage of what it takes to show up here today. Like, Like, I know we could go on about this forever, but I do, I do want to get these like few points across of just like, Hey, I've had friends that I've told them about what I've been going through over the years. And part of what I'm going through the years is I still live in the city where I did a bunch of graffiti. So I steadily watched all that stuff get crossed out. Every time I see, I walk by and I see a new tag get crossed out. It was like a physical punch in the stomach of just like, I know what you did and I hate you for it. And so I've been dealing with that for like five-ish years and stuff like that, just sort of internalizing every time I leave the house, just being like, oh, I wonder what, what I'm going to see today on my outing. One year, one year, somebody put bullets on my street saying like, fuck you and stuff like that. I don't know if it's related to what I did to my friends in the past. I don't know if that's just somebody who doesn't like me, but I've had like bullets put on the street in front of my house and stuff like that. And I've had friends who are just like, if I were going through what you were going through, I would have killed myself a long time ago. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you other than that just like boy certain platitudes or phrases when you really hear them it it hammers in but like i just feel like the truth is on my side of like i know that i did this and i'm so sorry now i in the moment i might have been a a version of sorry that was sorry that i was caught but the 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 me now that exists is sorry that like you got roped into my fucking trauma i'm sorry that like i didn't have the wherewithal to just to not only just be like not only is it bad but like this is going to have lasting effects and also this isn't how you get love and also this isn't how you treat people and just because other people have forgiven you for this stuff in the past does not mean that it's okay and that everyone is going to react that same way so then all that being said over like the past month or two i've been talking to people one-on-one having all kinds of one-on-ones with people and the amount of times that somebody will like oh shit when I was 15, I saw somebody do X, Y, Z, and I didn't say anything. Right, right. When I was, when I was up, like the important clarifier there. When I was 15, when mm-hmm. I was 15, I don't think anybody walking on the earth right now can say that they were totally satisfied and pleased with everything they did at 15 years old. It's just, like, it, this is just my personal opinion on this shit because it's like, that's absurd to, to hold someone 20 years past an incident. Uh, some, like, like they need to be uh, punished today for something that they did when they were 15 years old. And I, Jerome, my invitation to you is to stand fully straight up because you have done the work and it, it perpetuates systems of overpaying penance and accepting unacceptable behavior at some point to continue to just take everything that people have given you. Sure, because at and, some point it feels like it's all punishment that I deserve. When you know, when the letter went out, only one, only one person in all of Pittsburgh messaged me and was just like, what you did to the, those boys was fucked up. You need to apologize. Um, and so, I don't know, going forward, it's, it's hard. Things are opening back up. Society's opening back up for, for years. Every time I go to an event, I'm always waiting for the moment where somebody taps me on the shoulder and they're just like, hey, we actually don't want you here because you were an abuser in the past. And so we don't feel like this is a safe space. Like I've been waiting for that for five years, you know, just 
every time I go to an art show, every time I, anything happens at my own art shows, I'm always waiting for somebody to throw a brick through the window. Um, and, and, you know, there've been graffiti tags, chew is a sexual predator and all this kinds of stuff, whatever. And I'm just like, okay, I guess this is just what I deal with now. You know, there's no, I'm not in jail. I'm thankful for that. But like short of that, this, I guess this is my punishment, you know? And then I just let it happen. I mean, you can't, you're not going to be able to control the actions of other people, uh, right. whether they're going to act in good faith or bad faith, right? But what I think can be said, and I think what most people listening to this episode will definitely relate to, is that everyone makes mistakes. I mean, this is a platitude for a reason, like, because it's true. Uh, and you, no human being should have to in, endure, like, the consequences of their mistakes, one, alone, totally alone, uh, and two, in perpetuity for all time. Like you make a mistake, you pay for it once. That's how that works. Mm-hmm. You, you don't keep getting dragged in over the same shit. And as long as you are staying true to the work of being a better person and, and you know, guarding yourself against backslides, guarding yourself against that sort of like regression into, into problematic behaviors, mm-hmm. then like that's what people should be taking into account. That's what people should be considering when they think about your character today. You know, Trust me, if you think if you think that uh, in a world where I walk into a room and I'm not sure who knows my my dirty business or not, if you think that I'm risking like fucking up just because I'm so insatiable that I'm like, yeah, I know everybody knows that I did something shitty or whatever, but I'm just going to try and get away with it again like that. Uh, every time I go into a place, every time I make eye contact with somebody, if over the past couple of years you see me and it's just like, why is your own being weird towards me? I thought we were cool. It's because I never know where I stand with anybody at any given give, give, give point. Uh, did you just learn yesterday what I did and now you're looking at me weird? Or are you looking at me weird because I'm looking at you weird? And 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 it's just been like a constant cycle and I don't think it's – gonna go away at any point but there have been enough people reaching out that have just been like hey man i'm glad that you have been like honest about this to to the best of your ability and it's nice to see that you're taking the like accountability um and and i appreciate that you know there are people out there who have stepped forward and said that and there are people out there who are just like yeah we've all done bad stuff of course nobody's putting on a podcast uh but that's also just my lot in that's just me i chose in 2008 to put it on a podcast and talk about this person that wrote that letter heard that podcast and they were just like score i have ammo on this person i provided you with the ammo i i gave that to you and you just i don't know attempted to use it back at me or whatever but you you wonder why so many people are afraid to be vulnerable right Right. like it is always that the things i share about myself will be used as a weapon against me um and in this moment i wish i could give you closure because i I want you to have like a sobriety chip uh, something that says like i'm working on it i go to meetings i i've got like my little like covid vaccinate i want like you to have a little vaccination card that says i went through an accountability process right something something legible something that other people can understand so that when they do come up and they're like bro i just figured out that you did shit in the past you can be like hey absolutely and here's how I'm dealing with it. And it can be done. You have no idea how much I want that too. <laughs> and we have like now we have a podcast episode, right? Which can be like a two-hour interview basically talking about your entire life and all the dirt that you've done. Uh, and you know what a friend of yours thinks about it, or what uh, like a, a, a I don't know what non-biased like third party thinks about it. Topic and, expert. 
yeah, an expert in the field thinks about it, like, you know what I mean? And then there's still going to be people who are going to listen to this episode, and it, they're going to use that to reignite whatever fucking problems they got now. So like it's it's not gonna it's not gonna end, but the more people that you know maybe will listen to this and glean some information about like how transformative justice works, and maybe they can see it even if like sloppily executed in practice in, in a, over a podcast, like it'll give them a little better understanding. And that I mean that's ultimately been the point of this podcast the entire time. So now we have it on record. Uh, all further um, you know cancellation attempts should just refer to this episode, uh, and that's it. That's the statement. We put it out there and. I, uh, this, uh, I, of course, I can't exist in this world without being like this. This, I don't even know if what I'm saying going forward is small, problematic, whatever, but it is, it does, it does feel like it's, it's just like maybe not now, Jerome, like let it breathe or whatever. But like going forward, I just want everybody to like look around at literally everybody you know. Do you know everything that a person has done in their history? And, if you find out some things, are you in this moment now willing to just exile that person from your life? This goes back to people's parents who existed before the internet age, before cameras and things like that went out, grandparents, things like that, or all of your friends around you. Do you know the worst of what people have done and in that moment? Because it seems like everyone makes exceptions. You know, a lot of people have made exceptions for me, and I, I appreciate that. And what exceptions are people making in their lives for other people who have done things that that they don't condone but they're just like yeah but also he's like my friend so like mm -hmm." and a larger thing that this goes to you know building socialism or building a better society in general right because a better society is growing out of the old one and it's going to be taking with it some of the baggage from the old one some of the old problematic behaviors some of the things that you know, shouldn't be included in a new and better society. But if you are are going to sort of like chop down that plant as soon as it emerges with one like problematic leaf, you're never going to get to a better society. You're always going to be going through the same cycle again and again. And Until again. you get cut down because somebody decided something that you did was problematic. Right. So, right. And how do we acknowledge like we do have intergenerational I say karma, cause and effect. We have inter- intergenerational pain and trauma, mm-hmm. and we also have intergenerational gifts. Yeah. Like, are we? Are we like? We're just gonna throw it all out? Yep. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's like I, I tell people now. I'm just like, trust me, you're meeting the best version of me that's ever existed. Like, <laughs> the, the the me that stands before you now is the me that has the the foresight to to even know what it means to like um, interpret my motivations? Why am I doing the things, that urge that I just had? Is that coming from a good place? Is that something that I should even be listening to? Can I just like push that aside? Like that's the version that people are meeting today. And that's why I guess it's not, (laughs) it would suck to like cut me down in my roots, whatever, because everything that I've said up to this point, somebody else hears this or whatever, comes forward with their story. Hey man, I think that what you went through was X. Maybe start seeing a therapist. Hey, thank you for sharing this with me. Um, you know, I, I don't. I don't know. I, like, something has to come out of this that's positive. And what I'm hoping that that is is just like other people being able to open up about the things that, they, that have happened to them or things they've done. And unless it's something that needs like direct action, then 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 it for for it to not be something that feels like they'll be like punished for it or, or penalized. It's just like, Hey man, I, I hear you. That's, 
that sucks that you did that. And, you know, I'm sorry that that happened for both parties, for you and whoever it happened to. And I hope you're working on it now. Like, that's what I want from this instead of people just being like, how could you? How can, yeah. how can I listen to you now? It's just like, you can listen to me now because like I've lived this shit. And you've like, done the work. Yeah. And that's the last, the last thing you said is, the, is I think the most important thing. I want people, when people look at each other, right? You should just be looking at like, how are you working on it? Like, how are you trying to get better? Not what have you done in the past? What can I exercise you from my life for? Like, who are you now? What are you doing now? Like, what are you trying to be? You know? Yeah. That kind of that kind of understanding extended outwards towards everybody is is the only way forward. Right, right. And, and you know, last thing I'll say is just like in light of everything that happened, you know, last summer, the protests and and all this kind of stuff, sort of like my my awakening into socialism and things like that or whatever. It's like I can promise you that that selfish life that I lived up until like thirty or whatever, I was so fine with it. it was, let's let's call it. <laughs> whatever personality trait that I did pick up on from gays in the media was like selfish and catty. So like that was me forever. And I'm just like, yeah, I mean, and yeah, it's funny. And like, whatever, whatever the media that exists now, I'm just like, that sucks that I had to latch onto that. That sucks that I didn't have a Jojo Siwa or, or any, any kind of like positive influence and stuff like that. I was just stumbling around trying to figure out who I was. And that person, the, the personality that I latched onto was fucking abhorrent and there's nothing i can do about that except for going forward and seeing somebody and not only not chastising them but just being like damn i see what that person's going through and you know i hope that like <laughs> some of my influence or if i could be uh, if i could interject at any point and just be like hey i know what you're going through and or whatever the case is not okay uh, over the summer a buddy was just like oh Oh yeah, when I hook up with people, I just leave my webcam on or whatever. I'm just like, okay, well, you know what I went through, so that's that's on you. You know, like at this point, like that's that's you can't stop people from doing stuff or whatever, but hopefully I can provide you with some insight on my life and experience or whatever. And it's like you can knock it off too now, or you'll come to your own eventual conclusion. Yeah. Uh, and that's okay. That's and that's why bad don't do bad stuff exists. It might be like Nicole's not familiar <laughs> with it, but uh, me and my art partner uh, Max uh, uh, came up with this, this this slogan when we were both like going through this role of like we're bad boy graffiti boys, but like we came up with this thing of like don't do bad stuff, and it's you know it's been used in a facetious way at times, or whatever. But every time I say it, I mean that shit like behind the scenes i'm saying i'm saying don't do bad stuff on front and behind the scenes i'm like because i've done it and there's no way that it's worth it in the, in the end and if you can gather the wherewithal to figure out what bad things that you're doing in your life that are causing harm to other people and stop it then do it now like and it's it's i adapted that at a time and it's never been as like more crucial in my life as it is now or ever like i like i said i mean that shit of like yeah. don't do bad stuff uh nicole and if you and if oh. you do bad stuff be accountable yeah be accountable so any closing thoughts things you might want to plug nicole thank you for taking the time out of your day thank you so much oh yeah and add your perspective to it um it's so. it's been a joy to be here um my closing thoughts are that everything here today has 
taken such courage and it really reinforces for me that individual healing as part of the process that Jerome is on as the example that it leads for me, Brian, all of our listeners, um, that individual healing is the same as collective liberation. I have not heard one thing here today that does even stories of the individual is speaking on, into and of a collective. Mm-hmm. Um, so every time we talk about systems, we talk about power structures, we talk about phenomenon, we are, we are connecting, we're going from the micro of the individual to the macro of the society that we're in. And so I'm so glad we talk about the internet as being a, a player in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I will, I, I struggle with the, the self-promotion, but my stuff is all at radtalk.org. If that is something that people want to, to learn more about or have, have more resources for this kind of stuff, um, hopefully I can give y'all some resources to put in um, whatever podcast description. Yeah. But yeah, this is, this is the work. This is where rubber meets the road, and I'm really just honored to have been part of um, such a really, oh, just willing, humble example of it, because it's really hard to own the shit and, and acknowledge everything around it, because, um, because we are fighting those ideas that um, bad people have to be bad forever, and so instead to, to end this with don't do bad shit, but if you do, be accountable. Like that is, that is the way forward. That's so good. I love that. I like tag it in like that. And thank you once again. I've, I've like, I've. This is a conversation that's been thirty years in the making and five years in in production in my head. So like to finally like get to the other side of that is what a huge weight lifted. You know. I'm not saying that this is going to magically make everything go away. Um, and, and I invite the people who even after listening to this, if you still have questions or whatever, seek me out. I'm, I've always been willing to answer and talk about this stuff, you know, without hopefully without like, you know, bringing up any trauma for anybody else involved and stuff like that. But if, if you want to ask me about it and, and, and get to a place where you feel more comfortable about the issue or you just feel safe, I'm, I'm here, you know, 